This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. One of the downsides of political idolatry is the possibility that your hero becomes a repugnant sleaze. For the legions of Andrew Cuomo fans who lionized the New York governor for his handling of COVID-19, they must now eat the proverbial crow as their fearless hero turned out to be a peerless zero with a penchant for groping and harassing his female aides. Yesterday, he resigned from office. I think that given the circumstances, the best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. And therefore, that's what I'll do. Because I work for you. And doing the right thing is doing the right thing for you. Because as we say, it's not about me. It's about we. But let's rewind for a moment to the spring of 2020, when Cuomo was riding high. While President Donald J. Trump was downplaying the virus, New York City had become ground zero for the pandemic. Sirens blared throughout the day and night as the city resembled a morgue. If Trump was out to lunch or simply being his incompetent self, Cuomo was his polar opposite, prepared, empathetic, and ready for action. With his calming demeanor, bad jokes, and just the facts presentations, he became America's dad. His daily briefings became appointment viewing for people all over the country at a time when fear, anxiety, isolation, and grief were mounting. I started my tomato sauce before I left. We're going to go back. We're going to sit at the table, uh, have our spaghetti and meatballs on Sunday. And uh, I know what I'm going to talk to them about. I was part of his cheering section, as were countless others, and Cuomo's approval rating and public profile had soared. We placed in him everything that we could not find in Donald Trump. He became a vessel for our hopes and dreams for what was possible from a strong, decisive, and progressive leader. There were whispers of Cuomo joining the presidential ticket, and many of us wished it was him and not Biden that we were going to be nominating. David, we're standing by for Governor Cuomo's press conference, his daily briefing. How would you contrast Cuomo and President Trump's handling of the crisis? Truth versus mendacity. Governor Cuomo um, out there day after day after day, everything Trump isn't. Honest, direct, brave. Real leadership of the kind the president of the United States should have provided. Governor Cuomo is clearly living in a totally different reality, the actual one, than the president of the United States. Governor Cuomo has become a national leader. For a lot of people, Andrew Cuomo has become the leader of the Democratic Party. He is conveying incredible strength. You spoke to National Guard troops today in a stirring speech that, if I wasn't listening carefully, I thought you would sending soldiers off to war. This has been a remarkable show of leadership by Governor Cuomo in recent days. He's providing hope but not false hope. Governor Cuomo, no. I think, is, is, is one of the heroes on, on the front lines. With all of this adulation that you're getting for doing your job, are you thinking about running for president? But such is the power of Donald Trump and the wave of discontent he created, a blinding force field where we became inured to Cuomo's flaws because we wanted him. No, we needed him to be the answer to this awful cancer in the White House. Now says his own health officials are lying about the virus. His own CDC health officials are lying about the virus. 
Well, if the president is telling the truth, you know what he should do? He should fire them. Someone is clearly lying to the American people. And people are dying because of it. Trump's COVID scandal makes what Nixon did at Watergate look innocent. Unfortunately, like cancer, sometimes the cure is worse than the disease. And Cuomo, while certainly no Donald Trump, revealed himself to be just as flawed and broken as the man he was lambasting on a daily basis from his COVID bully pulpit. It turns out his handling of COVID was suspect and his data manipulated to make himself look better. And we now know America's dad was a midnight creeper of the worst kind, seeking out vulnerable young women in his orbit. His behavior is inexcusable and he has rightly resigned. In my mind, I've never crossed the line with anyone. But I didn't realize the extent to which the line has been redrawn. There are generational and cultural shifts that I just didn't fully appreciate. And I should have. No excuses. Unfortunately, our love for Andrew Cuomo has been awkwardly memorialized in the wave of hero worship that broke in his wake. There were professed crushes from mainstream magazines, and the New Yorker recently devoted column inches to a deconstruction of the so-called Cuomo-sexual. Say on behalf of just, just me, but my family, but New Yorkers, bigger than that, uh, the world. Thank you for your leadership. Can I say that I am a Cuomo-sexual? Everyone, everyone should wear Cuomo-sexual in that way. It is how we could watch the governor's narcissism, bullying, and hackneyed paternalism and have found those qualities attractive. That what we found repulsive in Trump because it was coming from the right, we craved from Cuomo, who offered a kind of alternative universe ruled by facts and competent bureaucrats. It was a fantasy for how we wished the government would run. But it was nonetheless a fucking fantasy. This morning, growing fallout for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and his administration over withholding COVID death toll numbers in nursing homes. His top aide, Melissa DeRosa, telling Democratic lawmakers this week on a private call, we froze, concerned that the information was going to be used against us. Randy Rainbow, the YouTube political satirist, popularized the term in a knowing but now cringe-inducing bean to the governor. Merchandise proliferated with taglines like, I identify as a Cuomo-sexual, and for a while, it became big business. If we're on Earth, for what it's worth, I hope they make you king. You run my state, while I gain weight, with grace and dignity. Oh, please, be my dad. United, there is nothing you can't do. He became his own cause celebre, adopted by The Daily Show's Trevor Noah and celebrities like Jimmy Fallon and Ellen DeGeneres, who used the term to express their love for the governor just as his popularity was peaking. The term Cuomo-sexual refers to Andrew and his brother, CNN anchor Chris Cuomo's adoring new fans. There's a group of women who came out and they said, we 
we're falling in love with Cuomo. And I said, well, yeah, everyone, everyone should wear Cuomo sexual in that way. I don't miss a press mm. conference. When Cuomo's on, I'm, I'm, turned, I'm like, got to go see my celebrity crush right now. Sorry. These feelings are perfectly natural. Many Americans experience moments of being at least Andrew curious, if not fully Cuomo sexual. Andrew and Chris have captured many hearts with their on-air sparring over the last few weeks amid the coronavirus pandemic. On the popular and often feminist blogging site Jezebel, a writer professed her literal crush on Cuomo, likening it to Stockholm Syndrome. Cuomo isn't holding me hostage so much as coronavirus is, but he's the only one telling me what to do, where I can and cannot go anywhere, who I can and cannot see everyone who I cannot and cannot listen to, President Trump, Bill de Blasio, what I can and cannot eat, anything but pasta. Andrew Cuomo, we love him because he does his job. Andrew Cuomo, competence really turns us on. And it wasn't just this writer. Even the most supposedly balanced outlets let themselves crush on Cuomo. Ben Smith, the New York Times media columnist, wrote a column headlined, Andrew Cuomo is the control freak we all need right now. Political ran a profile on him that dug into his past and present presidential aspirations. News reports mooned over the governor, proclaiming the moment to be his finest hour. Governor Andrew Cuomo. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Pleasure to be with you. I'm a big fan. Well, thank you very much. I think everyone is a big fan of yours right now because more than ever during this pandemic, uh, people have sought out leaders who uh, communicate effectively and seem to know what they're trying to do. Nobody has all the answers about coronavirus, but people look for leaders who know what they would like to do. The New Yorker's Lizzie Whittacombe writes that the governor presented himself as an alternative to Trump. And New Yorkers embraced the comparison, swooning over Cuomo's Queen's accent and his tough guy shtick. Forget bodyguards, he said of Trump. He'd better have an army if he thinks he's going to walk down the streets in New York. We basked in his awkward displays of affection, looking into a camera and telling New Yorkers, I miss you. I love you. I am thinking about you. Smiled at his on-screen banter with his brother Chris the muscle-bound CNN anchor, and giggled at his dad's jokes about serving spaghetti and meatballs to his adult daughters and a boyfriend. Advice to fathers. Uh, The answer on what you think of the boyfriend is always, I like the boyfriend. Always. Because there's only two options. Either you like the boyfriend, in which case you say, I like the boyfriend, or you don't like the boyfriend. But you can never say you don't like the boyfriend. According to the New York Times, Lingua Franca, a fashion brand known for activist slogans, sold cashmere sweaters with Cuomo sexual and Cuomo for president hand embroidered on them for $400. And Betches, a media company geared toward millennial women, sold a t-shirt emblazoned with the phrase. For those few weirdos still enamored with Cuomo, merchandise still abounds on sites like Etsy, where one can purchase all manner of now discounted Cuomo ephemera. But he's he bought like 15 Cuomo sexual mugs and he's selling, he keeps tweeting like, I have 1,100 Cuomo sexual mugs. Please, somebody take these off my hands. I need to sell them. I have a family. The point, though, is to look at our own craven need to worship so-called strong men. 
The writer's having a field day with this at the moment, gleefully stomping on Cuomo's grave and reminding us of our own hypocrisy, even as their own people continue to tear apart American democracy and propagate all manner of misinformation around COVID-19. There's Republican Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio, who's faced multiple allegations that he turned a blind eye to sexual abuse by the Ohio State wrestling team physician while Jordan was the assistant coach. And yet Republicans continue to stand by him, even choosing him to be their ranking member on the House Judiciary Committee. Congressman Matt Gates of Florida is currently, currently under investigation by the Department of Justice over whether he had a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old girl and paid for her to travel with him. Only one of his Republican colleagues, Congressman Adam Kinzinger, has called on him to resign. And Gates remains in office and on his committees. What was it about the moment in time that made us turn to Cuomo in such slavish fashion? For many of us, reading the AG's report and listening to the governor's cynical denials spurs a kind of embarrassed clarity similar to the feeling one experiences after running into an old ex. How could we have witnessed these same qualities? In Cuomo's case, the narcissism, the bullying, the hackneyed paternalism and find them attractive, writes Whittacombe in The New Yorker. It also provides potential answers when we wonder how people can continue to fall for Donald Trump's bullshit. So let's face it, authoritarianism is attractive when it stands in defiance of things you profoundly hate. When you feel helpless and frightened and the world appears to be out of control, we look to our leaders to save us. Look for the helpers, said Mr. Rogers. But it also creates an atmosphere where strength or the projection of strength looks attractive to the alternative. This is how authoritarianism rears its head. It looks for a vacuum where chaos reigns and offers total control. When the moon hits your eye like a bigger pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, tingle-ling-a-ling, tingle-ling. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is Ryan Grimm. Currently the Washington, D.C. bureau chief of The Intercept, known for its outstanding reporting on the intelligence community and issues of national security. Prior to his joining The Intercept, Grimm held the same position at the Huffington Post, where he twice led, reporting teams that were Pulitzer finalists for their work. His own reporting was the first to blow the whistle on Supreme Court Judge Brett Kavanaugh, reporting on the letter Dianne Feinstein received from Christine Blasey Ford, accusing Kavanaugh of assault. He is also a political commentator for the Young Turks and appears frequently as a guest on the Majority Report with Sam Sater and Rising with Crystal and Sager. His writings have appeared in several publications, including Rolling Stones, The Washington Post, and Politico. Grimm is also the author of This Is Your Country on Drugs and We've Got People. A known progressive fighter, Grimm is not afraid to mix it up. He joins me today on Mea Culpa in the wake of Andrew Cuomo's resignation to discuss the governor as well as Tom Barrack, Jared Kushner, and Trump's corruption in the Emirates, plus so much more. So let's listen now to that conversation. I want to start today with a question about Andrew Cuomo and Letitia James. Mm -hmm. Their relationship is longer and more complicated than people realize. 
Can you tell my listeners what you know about their shared history and the deal Cuomo pushed on James? Oh, yeah, boy. What what a uh, is it Shakespearean or Greek or something? It's 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 a he- hell of a story. You know, and so in, in 2003, when she first ran for city council, she ran on the on the ticket of the Working Families Party. You know, WFP can line up on the same ballot as Democrats in a f- kind of fusion process. But she said, no, I'm, I'm WFP and WFP only. And she won. And it was the first time the WFP had ever elected somebody on their own to city council. And it was it kind of really shook up you know, New York politics. Uh, so she spent the next you know decade as this kind of independent progressive. She becomes a public advocate. And then as she is at, when Eric Schneiderman is uh, pushed, uh, you know, resigns from office with that, that, that Me Too scandal, she's floated in 2018 as a as the as a likely successor. Uh, but she didn't have a whole lot of big money connections because she'd been such a grassroots candidate. And so Andrew Cuomo, uh, who had long hated uh, the Working Families Party, but but hated them even more because they had recently endorsed uh, uh, Cynthia Nixon against him. He goes to Tish James and says, look, I will endorse you and I will open up my fundraising network to you. But there is one condition. And the condition is you must renounce the endorsement of the Working Families Party. And there's no practical or strategic or tactical reason for her to do that on her own. Like there's because WFP endorses you, you take the endorsement. You know, it's not there's there's no harm like it's in it. And it's a positive uh, for you. Uh, So she's faced with this choice. I I have to either reject Andrew Cuomo and have him you know, turn him into an eternal enemy or I accept Andrew Cuomo's support. I get access to all of that money, but I have to betray the, the very people, you know, who who I first came into power with. And she ended up taking the deal. And so Cuomo endorsed her, held a you know fundraiser for her. Uh, WFP actually endorsed her anyway, um, which is kind of sad and poignant in a weird way. But she rejected their endorsement. Um, she goes on. Uh, she wins. And then but then not long after she wins, you know, now she's attorney general. And she released a this the investigation into the nursing home scandal that that really precipitated his descent you know the 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 sexual harassment scandal is looks like it could be the nail in his coffin but you know the 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 real you know the first scratch in his armor was 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 the um was that nursing home scandal and so then Cuomo did everything he could actually to not kick the sexual harassment investigation over to Tish James he he kept trying to give it to this judge that he had appointed to multiple different positions throughout her career Uh, but that there that didn't work public pressure forced him to give it to james and now james had a had the opportunity to prove her independence after making that 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 deal with the devil and we all saw the result of it this week yeah that we did you know i one of the things that i saw is also tish james put out a lot of feelers that if in fact that cuomo does not resign or whether he's impeached She's going to run for the office in 2022. Yeah. Have you seen uh, that as well? I mean, people have talked about that, and she's certainly a very credible. Uh, she's certainly one of the, the most credible candidates. I know Jamani Williams has, you know, he didn't run for mayor 
And when people would ask him why, he said he had his eye on statewide office and he already ran for lieutenant governor. So it's unlikely to be that one. Um, so that would be two WFP people kind of competing. Um, but yeah, yes. I mean, I think both of them have their eye on the governor's mansion at some point. And what, and what do you think, what do you think would end up happening? I mean, what's your opinion? If in fact that Tish James primaries, Andrew Cuomo, I mean, right now he could not be at his Mm -hmm. weakest. He may, he may legitimately be at the weakest he's ever, ever been, uh, regardless of the office that he was running for. If in fact, because Tish James right now is actually at her most popular. What do you think ends up happening? Because you're right. There is big money, and I mean really big money, behind Andrew Cuomo. I mean, my understanding, some of his biggest donors, you have Recklers, which is Rex mm-hmm. and Company. You have Cablevision, Durst, you know, the Durst Corporation, Fisher Brothers. I mean, these are big, big companies, and they've given hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, to Cuomo year after year after year. She doesn't have that big money guarantee like he does. What do you think ends up happening? She didn't have it in 2018 because she wasn't a national figure. And also Zephyr Teachout was running for attorney general and she kind of had the national grassroots fundraising base. I think if she ran for governor and Cuomo didn't step aside, she could just press a button and would raise millions from from people around the country who just wanted to see Cuomo get a comeuppance. So I think she would probably even outraise Cuomo because, you know, a lot of Cuomo's money, as you know, is fear money. You have to you have to pay him or else you're or else you're going to pay, you know, dearly down the road. Uh, and so uh, if he doesn't have the same power, then he doesn't in, then he doesn't have the same ability to, you know, inflict fear on people. And so then he's going to have trouble raising money, uh, you know, from those same sources. They you know, he might come to them and be like, look, you've been, you've been giving me money for 20, 30 years. And they've been, well, times have changed. Uh, some of them are going to be loyal and some of them are going to pay just on the off chance that he, he does hold on and they don't want to be on his bad side. But a lot of them are going to say, no, you're on your own now, bud. There's such a similarity between Cuomo and Trump. First of all, like Trump, Cuomo is a bully. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting is the fact that while I was at Otisville, one of Cuomo's chiefs of staff, one of his top dogs, was there with me. And we used to sit and compare stories about the similarities between the Trumps and the Cuomos. Obviously, well-known father, significant um, you know, money. Now, the Cuomos, of course, never had the money that Fred Trump had, but they had the power, which was something that Fred Trump didn't have. He had the money, and his money bought him power, whereas Cuomo had the power, which sort of gave them the lifestyle right. that they you know, that they became accustomed to. They're both bullies. They're both, um, you know, narcissists. They're with hubris and egos. Uh, they're both womenizers. It's amazing the similarities that exist between the two. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's those similarities, especially since Trump has brought to the forefront, what are there, like 20 women that are accusing him mm-hmm. of sexual misconduct. Now you have uh, Cuomo. There are 11 women with sexual misconduct. Why do you think that there's such a, um, a similarity between these two characters? And how do you think that ends up playing for Cuomo? Is that the sort of Vulcan death mm-hmm. touch to his um, political career? Well, I think in some ways New York 
politics and, and kind of New York, and you know this world better than I do, but, you know, New York selects at the very top for some of those some of those qualities and some of those some of those traits you know you you can you can bully your way through and mus- muscle your way through uh with enough you know with enough money enough power enough enough connections and i think actually democratic voters you know got understood that that Cuomo was very much like Trump but they they overlooked they didn't just overlook it in some ways they almost liked it and they would say well he's our Trump you know we need a Trump to take on a Trump because you know democratic voters are always are so tired of some of of their leaders kind of seeming meek on television you know for years the two spokespeople out of congress for democrats were Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi who were not instilling you know fear in, in in anybody even if they're both like very adept kind of parliamentary tacticians in DC you know on on television they're not they're not a trump and they're not a cuomo and so and so I think that Democratic voters were willing to overlook all sorts of problems to say that, OK, finally, we have somebody that can punch back at Trump. Yeah, except New York, while we do like somebody with sharp elbows, one of the things that New York has definitely shown is that we don't fuck around when it comes to these sexual misconducts, these Me Too issues. Elliot Spitzer mm-hmm. certainly got no pass from New Yorkers for his for his actions Schneiderman, yeah, he was, also he was the gone same the, thing. He was gone no that pass. same day. Yeah, he walked. He walked quickly in order to try to save his his name and his reputation. And then Anthony Weiner, while not, of course, at that height of a level, but guaranteed he would have mm-hmm. been the mayor, right? So you know, one thing about New Yorkers is we don't fuck around when it comes to this Me Too stuff, right? This is the this is sort of like the the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, And, you know, so much of of Cuomo's power was built around this mystique of of Cuomo. Yeah. That if you cross him, you know, your your career is over. And, you know, if you if you rule by fear, then the second that people are no longer afraid of you, all your power evaporates and, and people are no longer afraid of Cuomo. And so what does he have left with without that? Very little. Hi, folks. Michael Cohen here, and we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics, so if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, check out the August 5th episode with neuroscientist Douglas Fields, who discusses the rage circuit in our brain and why we snap. Or the fascinating interview with journalist Nicole Perlroth from August 2nd discussing the new cyber arms race. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Like the July 6th interview with master pickpocket Bob Arno on how he spots a mark. There's an episode for everyone though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode on how to deal with corrupt and crooked bosses, addiction, brain chemistry, and so much more. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show and we think you will as well. 
So search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, one of the more troubling aspects of this Cuomo scandal is the silence coming from those in the media and certain Democrats who engaged in gratuitous hero worship of Cuomo in May of 2020. Now, cable news needed a counterweight to Trump and found the hardworking, talkative Cuomo camera ready to fill that role. Then the scandal hit and collective fucking amnesia. All of a sudden, everybody forgets, right? Should we not hold our leaders to a higher standard than Trump and the right so that we can at least maintain the moral high ground by enforcing the law and calling out bad behavior? Yeah, absolutely. And at least, you know, give I'll give credit to to Biden and Pelosi and some others who you know quickly called on him to resign and credit to a lot of the state assembly members in New York who are not just called on him to resign, but, you know, are working up impeachment articles and Judiciary Committee hearing on Monday. And they're they're pushing forward. But right. You know, I saw a report somewhere that that Chris Cuomo's ratings went up by like 100,000 viewers the the day that the report came out because people were kind of curious to see if he was going to say anything about it, given that he'd done the the Cuomo Brothers show for so long and the hour went by without a without a single single mention of it. Um and, you know and that's that's that in particular uh was one of the the more brazen ethical breaches I think that the media has been has been part of in, in in this you know in 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 modern memory really it's quite it was just absolutely extraordinary to have a a guy just uh interviewing his brother uh doing you know the kind of interviews you would expect of if you were interviewing your brother and then when the scandal hits then it's all of a sudden oh well, there's a conflict of interest i can't interview my brother well you, you weren't you his brother you know a couple weeks ago before this happened and the answer of course is yes now i believe that the democratic party is too fast um in doing this in terms of asking for resignations and you know one of the things we talked about on this on this program on mea culpa going back like 40 plus episodes ago was the fact that I believe that Andrew Cuomo has the right to defend himself against the allegations, taking nothing away from the women who made the allegations, taking nothing away from our law enforcement agencies that did an investigation on these 12, on these 11 allegations by these 11 women. If you recall, look how fast that they turned around and they told Schneiderman, who acknowledged that he was as guilty as fuck and so he was mm-hmm. going to take a fast walk but look what they did to al franken i used al franken as a perfect example resign 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 everybody's so fast schumer pelosi everybody's so fast personally if i was al franken i would have told them that they should resign i'm not resigning and i believe that cuomo was right when he said i want the facts to come out because the facts will exonerate me. Well, first of all, the facts did come out and they don't fucking exonerate him at all. Let's be yeah. just straight up about that one. And now that the facts are out, this is the time for him to do the right thing for the Democratic Party. But I really, truly dislike when they turn around and the first thing they say is, I think he should resign. He should. And that's prior right. to the information coming out. At this point, now that this 165 page report, which is damning is all hell, 
is out, one of the things that he should do is he should really analyze what's his likelihood of reelection, probably zero. What's his likelihood of impeachment, probably close to 100 yeah. percent. And he should do the smart thing and resign. But I took offense and I take offense to this day that Al Franken walked away. I never would have done that because if you compare the two. What Al Franken did, a former comic thinking he's funny, everybody sometimes in their life does something stupid, apologize for it, move on. It's nothing like what was going on here, where you have employees working for you, where you're groping them, making sexual innuendos. It's just a total different animal. And if you compare the two, I would say Franken is at like a one out of 10 and Cuomo is like an 11. You think uh, you think Franken will make a comeback? He, he's back in New York, right? As I understand it. Like, do you think he'll run for something? Because you're not alone in I, I hear it. I hear it constantly um, that, that Al Franken was railroaded. It's it's become a a, a huge kind of a black mark um, for a lot of people on 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 what they see as, as this, this like uh, abuse of due process or like, you know, of, you know, skipping right through due process. And I, I wonder if you think that there's some political future for him in New York. It's, it's hard. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, it's, it's a very, it's a great question. I hope he does run for something. I always found him to be, um, very competent and very straightforward. Uh, I also give him a lot of credit for doing what he did. He didn't want to create an issue uh, mm -hmm. for the Democratic Party, and he stepped aside. He put the party above himself. Now, let's compare that to the Republicans. I mean, Donald Trump should have been indicted and incarcerated on probably more than 15 different matters that I have provided testimony to nine different federal agencies, not including the attorney general's office, meaning Tish James's office or Cy Vance's district attorney's office. And yet Republicans keep saying, no, nope, Donald Trump, if today was the nomination, he would be nominated mm -hmm. for the off, you know, uh, as the representative of the Republican Party. And if not Donald himself, then his idiot son, Don Jr., yeah. right? Most probably because of name recognition. Yeah. I mean, kind of contrast the two of those together. What's your, what's your opinion on yeah, that? Yeah, and he even cost the Republicans control of the Senate. I mean, Mitch McConnell deserves blame, too, for not, you know, just, just waving through the $2,000 checks. But if Trump had not been contesting the, you know, the, the election all the way through January, I, I think there's no way that the Democrats win those 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 two seats in Georgia and, and thereby take control of the Senate. So it, it, it is unprecedented in American history to have a, a, a one term president who then also um, just uh, that alone is unprecedented to have a one term president president who is who remains so powerful normally they become pariahs in in the party uh like you you can you imagine like jimmy carter trying to give the democratic party orders in like 1982 no jimmy carter was done uh, and he went on and uh, you know built houses for the for the next couple decades um but not only did he not not only was he a one-term president but then he cost the cost the party this control of the united states senate and yet and yet maintains a grip on on the party and it and it it's he does it in the same way that that Cuomo did the fear and so if that fear is ever broken then he, then he loses it 
and then he loses that grip. But but right now, they're, they're, this is still a party that's in fear of him. Yep, and it's all about the fundraising. It's all about the Benjamins. You know, Ryan, I want to switch gears for a second now and discuss someone that you've been reporting on for quite some time, and that's Tom mm-hmm. Barrick, right? If he flips, if Tom flips on Trump, what, in your opinion, would be the most damaging to the former president based upon what you know of the case and about Tom Barrett? Well, so there is, you know, for, if, if, you know, for people that didn't follow, you know, Middle East policy much during the Trump administration, there, there is the potential of a, a crime of the century being committed there if, if, all, if the, all of the evidence um, could be pieced together. And, and, and essentially... And, and you and you might have some in, insight into how some of this unfolded as well. But as, essentially, the Kushners, uh, as you know, uh, made a made it made an awful decision in 2000, what, six, 2007, and spent something like one point eight billion dollars on six, six, six. Was it six, six, six Fifth Avenue? Six, six, six yeah. Fifth Avenue, known as the worst real estate deal ever in the history of New they York paid, City. Paid something ever. like two and a half times more than anybody had paid per square foot, like ever. Um, so it was a it was a bad it was a it was a horrible deal, a terrible idea on the day it was done. Everybody could already read the writing on the wall that the real estate market was cooling. And so then it completely collapses the next year. And so now the entire family's fortunes are are swirling around the toilet and and, and barrack uh in fact uh connected uh trump at one point with with kushner and and uh and and helped create some some type of uh uh bailout there barrack then connects the kushners uh with barrack who's who comes who isn't who it wasn't born in lebanon but his family comes from lebanon he has a lot of connections in the middle east he connects uh, the Kushners with a lot of wealthy people in in the Middle East. So then, but when Kushner becomes you know senior advisor to the president, this this property is still on the brink of collapse. Lo- you know the loans are coming due. Uh, the entire family's future you know is 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 at risk. Uh, and I, as we reported at the Intercept, Charles Kushner um, and the and the Kushner, Kushner companies approached Qatar, the government of Qatar. And also approached uh, this guy named Hamad bin Jassim um, bin Jabir Al Thani, who's like uh, the, the rich, one of the richest men in the world, the richest person in Qatar, former prime minister. Uh, somebody, somebody said of him in uh, the, the like the leader of the country said, "I, I run the country, but uh, but HBJ owns it." I think people call him HBJ. So you know, with a snap of his finger, he could bail out Kushner. They they look into the deal, and he's like, "Look." Uh, if you can, if you can find some other financing, somebody else to go in on this, uh, no, no, then let's talk. Uh, but, and so then there's this, if you remember, there was this scandal where, what was it? Kushner's sister or somebody in the Kushner family was, it was yeah, in sister. China, try, trying to extract money from China to try to basically to get the matching funds so that they could bail this out. So that it all falls apart because the China, the China thing gets exposed without the China thing. The cutteries are like, you know what, you know, this is, this deal's not going to, this deal's not going to fly. Charles Kushner approached the actual foreign minister, you know, not just, not just a member of the Royal family and the richest person in there. So this all, so this all falls apart. And, and Qatar says, no, you know, we're not, we're not, ba- we're not bailing this property out. Uh, Kushner then, you know, Kushner organizes 
as the first trip for, uh, for Trump to the Middle East, for his first trip anywhere in the world to be to Saudi Arabia. Huge, you know, setting a setting a new precedent there that had never been done before. Everybody remembers that famous orb photo. Uh, the Kushner, Kushner, Ivanka and, and Jared uh, met privately with Mohammed bin Salman there. We don't know exactly uh, what was said there. Not long after there, Kushner traveled you know, privately um, off the grid, met with him till like four in the morning. Uh, and then what we know is that shortly after the cutter had said no, and shortly after this, this meeting uh, between um, the, between the Kushner's and, M- and MBS and Trump going over there, UAE uh, and Saudi Arabia declare a blockade of Qatar to the point where they were on the brink of invading the country. This is a country that has a that has a military base with ten thousand U.S. troops. They're they're about to launch an invasion. A, U, a U.S. US, a US, U.S. military, military base. base. U.S. military base. The only one in the entire region. That's and, right. And Kushner's friends are now blockading it and threatening an invasion. Tillerson gets wind of this and tries to tries to end this quickly. Like this, we we cannot have a blockade of of our ally. In the Middle East, with our with our troops in the country, and uh, the the UAE and, and Saudi Arabia using uh, using Kushner um, back channel to Trump and cut Tillerson out of the process. We have reporting that shows that Tillerson was, Tillerson was actually eventually fired over this over his attempt to mediate this, and Trump takes the side of uh, Saudi and the UAE uh, against Qatar and says Qatar is is harboring terrorists. This, so, so you know, you went in a matter of weeks from trying to, you know, shake them down uh, for money to bail out your business to now saying that they're they're sheltering terrorists and and therefore this blockade is, is justified. The plot, the blockade ends up going all the way through the Trump administration and a, a, and a cutter linked um, investment vehicle eventually does bail out Kushner's firm. Now, Kushner's investments now. If if anybody can uh, can prove that that Kushner connected these these issues, that that Kushner used the might of U.S. foreign policy uh, that put 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 American troops in harm's way in order to pressure uh, a business partner to pay up. That to me is 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 a crime of the century. Uh, So so if Barrick has has information on that and would share it. That that would be explosive. I I am highly skeptical um, that that he that he actually will. I think he'd rather go to go to jail than do that. Um, but but what do you think? I mean, do you do you do you think that this did unfold kind of the way that people think it unfolded, the way that I described it? So let me start by saying this. Bravo, <laughs> spot on, spot on, literally spot on. I have not heard anybody, and I'm talking about I speak to a lot of people on a regular basis, whether it's for this show, whether it's for television. I have never heard anybody lay it out so correctly. First of all, let me start with HBJ, who I used to call a friend of mine, and not because of Trump and not through Trump, through another through a mutual friend who's very close to him. I was with HBJ having lunch in Florida, okay, um, when... He told me the story that Charles Kushner came to him. And you are spot on in your reporting. Charles Kushner came to him to bail them out of this issue that they had um, on the upcoming loan um, 
at 666 Fifth Avenue. Remember when that and was? And HBJ walked. When you uh, met with him? Yeah, it was around. Uh, I, I know I have it because I have a photo of me, uh, Trump, and HBJ at Mar-a-Lago. But I can tell you that you're, and, I, and I'll, I'll look it up and I'll, I'll text you on that one. But one of the things that he had said to me was that when Charles came to me, I turned around and I told him that you guys are way too hot. Meaning the sister had just gone to China. It was for EB-5s and was throwing around not only her brother, but Trump with pictures in China about how her brother's pushing for the EB-5s to come through. It was a nightmare for her, for the family, and it, co- and it cost them the ability to do business with HBJ. Now, let me be very, you know, straightforward when it comes to HBJ. He is one of the richest men in the world. All right. He was the creator of the Qatari Investment Authority. And yes, the president or the premier of, um, of Qatar is 100% correct. He runs it, but he finances it. He's incredibly astute. He's an amazing businessman. And there was nothing nefarious here by going to the richest man and one of the richest men in the world and asking him to bail you out on a real estate deal. I don't know what was promised, but based upon my understanding, the conversation didn't last long because the sisters' actions in China really put HBJ um, – it, it was very um, uncomfortable mm-hmm. for him, and he respectfully declined. Traveling on summer vacation is a great way to disconnect, but sometimes you just need to connect to public Wi-Fi to take care of emails or post photos on social media. Unfortunately, cybercriminals can spy on unsecured public Wi-Fi networks to see your browsing history, read your emails, and even see your passwords. We do a lot more online these days. Your information is out there, exposed. Unfortunately, cybercriminals are always looking for ways to take that information. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Device security helps block cyber criminals from stealing your personal information. VPN to help keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. Now, one of the issues that my opinion that they have in terms of uh, Tom Barrick is, do I think that he would flip on Trump? 100%. He is identical to Trump. He's identical to Cuomo. It's all the hubris, the ego, the narcissism. The world runs around them. Do I think he will flip? If that means keeping him out of jail and sending Kushner or Trump or somebody else to prison in his stead, 100%. But the bigger problem comes in, not so much as what he says, but what he says that can actually be used because, of course, you know, what Trump or Kushner or the government may try to say is that this is classified material. Now, I have an issue with that as well, because I've seen reports from CNN, uh, from CNBC, CNN, MSNBC, all of the all of them, 
talking about how Barrick's information could be deemed classified. And I'm wondering, why is it classified if he never worked for the U.S. government? And that whole Riyadh trip that you referenced is a real fucking thorn in my ass because I asked a guy as I was raising money for the pick, and you know Tom Barrick was uh, the chair of mm-hmm. the presidential inaugural committee. There's still like $80 million missing. They all went to throw Stephanie Winston Walkoff under the bus. We're seeing videos and recordings between her, Melania, her and other people uh, regarding this, and hopefully that information comes out. But one of the things that we're, that we're seeing is, you know, how is it that this could be classified material if, in fact, that Tom never worked for the U.S. government? And going back to that Riyadh story that you that you brought up, I asked a guy who I had asked for a million dollars for the pick, and he wrote me a check in 30 seconds on it. Simply because he's not a fan of Donald's, but you know what? This is going to be the incoming president. He was going to support it. He also is a big hedge fund guy. And one of the interesting things was that he had called. This is after after he had given a million dollars. The inauguration took place, blah, blah, blah. He was already, his clients were already going to this Riyadh event. He just wanted to meet and to be able to be in the same locale as his clients that gave him several billion dollars for his hedge fund. So he calls up Jared and he calls up Tom and they say no. Hmm. Why not? Why not? So he turns around and he calls me. He says, this is bullshit. I gave you a million dollars because you asked. My clients are going there. I don't want to travel with the president. I don't want to go on Air Force One, even though he knows Donald for Mm -hmm. years. And Donald probably would have said yes under other circumstances. That means not having any involvement with Kushner or Barrick at the time. Uh, Trump would have put him on Air Force One. I don't want to travel with him in the motorcade. I have my own security. I have my own plane. I'm going to be there anyway. You know, can I go? And Jared returns my call and says he spoke to Tom and Tom said that it's just, it's too late and that unfortunately there are no more available tickets. Well, the guy went anyway because one of the members of the royal family, mm-hmm. who was this guy's client, got him a ticket anyway. But I started putting two and two together. And here's what I believe. What was the purpose of that Riyadh um, trip? Yeah. Do you remember? Uh, the stated purpose of it? Yeah. The stated purpose. I don't even remember what the stated purpose was. Trump Trump was going there to raise $250 billion for the U.S. Oh, that's infrastructure right, 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 fund. Yeah. And then after that, he was going to go to China and raise $250 billion. Mm-hmm. And then after that, Japan. And then he came back and he did a whole presser. It's so easy. I just go there and they give me money and then I'm going to give it to Wall Street and they're going to put a 10 to 1 multiple on it. We're going to have seven and a half trillion dollars to invest in our infrastructure and it's going to all be foreign money, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then once I heard him say that about putting it on Wall Street, it all came, it all became clear to me because I know all the players and I know just how, how seriously gross that they all are. The goal was to put that $250 billion into Tom Barrick's colony mm-hmm. capital. Now, this is all my opinion, by the way, right? Uh, and and I, it sounds right. It's certainly plausible. And then another $250 billion from China. And another $250, that colony capital, which then merged with North Star, became Colony North Star, right, was going to then have $750 billion under management. 
at which point everybody knew Kushner had no interest or intention of staying in Washington for four years. He would leave after two years. He would join Barrick as a partner in Colony um, North Star, or whatever the name of the firm would be at that time. You know how much $750 billion of management taking just a 1% fee comes out to be? You know, that's just to turn the lights on. $750 million divided by two or three people, that's a lot of money. You can bail out right? a lot of Not bad Not to mention how much you get. That's, it, sure, it sure could. And how many years it would take to spend that $7.5 trillion, making them probably one of the largest, if not the largest hedge fund in the, in the United States. All a great idea until one thing. Trump then puts out a Muslim ban, right? Mm-hmm. And the... The Arab Emirates, uh, all of the Gulf Coast countries, they all turn around and say, you know, fuck this. You know, I'm not putting in any money. And the whole thing was a ruse anyway, because nobody intended on giving $250 billion. Right. right. Yeah. The commitments he came back with were kind of fake commitments that were just kind of re-upped offers that, had, that were already in the works, like things that they had already pledged before they're like they just kind of dressed them up in a new powerpoint and said we're going to do this exactly and i have no idea why this is not under investigation even just using your information mm-hmm. this thing should be under investigation which brings me to my next question do you find the timing odd that jared kushner makes his public exit from politics just as barrack is indicted if you would explain to my listeners and you have a really great timeline onto this. Explain to my listeners how these two cross and what kind of exposure could be in store for Prince Jared, the secretary of everything. For sure. And like, and I think you might've, I think I'm, somebody on Twitter said this. I think it might've been, I might've even seen it on your feed that he's not actually leaving politics. Like, well, you know, if he is, if he is continuing shuttling back and forth between the you know Middle East and and New York and trying to you know shake money down um, from from those from the royal families there and you know it's it's the there there isn't a lot of kind of independent m- money over there you know if 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 HBJ you know you're like you said it's the it's the sovereign it's the sovereign wealth fund of Qatar that he controls that so that it's not it's not exactly like he's a private investor. Uh, so you are inherently involving yourself with the, with the geopolitics of the region by by continuing to, to try to cut these deals. And the only reason that you're able to do that is, is your connection to Trump and, and, the, and the possibility that, that Trump might come back to power. It's not Kushner has shown that he's not a smart investment just on from a business perspective, just, just from, you know, from the fact that he's. You know, is shortly after taking control of the company, almost blew it up, and then spent has spent the rest of the time trying to save it from drowning. Uh, so that's not that's not exact the first place you'd go for a, a, an investment if if your only return you were looking for was profit. But if if you're involved in politics, then and geopolitics, then then yeah, this is this is coin you pay. I you know I, I interviewed some uh, uh, one senior cuttery official around that time, and and he, and he said ruefully. You know, I wish we had just paid because they suffered a lot from that blockade. Like that was, you know, they, they survived, um, but it would have been much cheaper for them to have just anted up, you know, paid and paid the fee that was being that was being asked of them. And so Bar- 
You mean you mean extorted, extorted, yeah, extorted yeah, them? Yes. And I do, I do want to say that I do want to say this um, because, like I said, your reporting on this is just spot on. But Kushner's relationship with the Qataris, with HBJ, that's not the strong Middle Eastern relationship, exactly, which we UAE, all know, right? right. And and Saudi right. Arabia. It's his relationship to Mohammed bin Salman. And let's not forget that the Saudi investment um, authority or what the sovereign wealth fund, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund, that's pretty significant mm-hmm. too. Yes. You know? No. Yo. Yo. Ex- exactly. And that's that's where he's really going for money. And and one thing. Uh, so um, so anyway, your to your question, like yeah, Barrack Barrack knows all these players, Barrack. You know, help make a lot of these connections. Barrack Barrack wouldn't would know a lot about, um, you know, what exactly Kushner was doing because a, a lot of people have said that you know when Kushner was going over to the Middle East, meeting with UAE, meeting with Saudi, uh, that generously you could say that fifty percent of what he was doing was government, fifty percent was was business. So if if that's true, Barrack would know that. Barrack would have Barrack would have real insight into that, and we haven't even gotten to all of the human rights abuses that that are that are linked with this you know shortly after um kushner le- leaves that riyadh meeting uh mohammed bin salman rounds up a whole bunch of elites in in the ritz if you remember in 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 riyadh uh tortures some of them one of them ki- killed you know one of them was killed uh and and extracts something like 90 billion dollars or you know some some obscene amount of money um, from from these people in what he calls an, an anti-corruption push, like the idea that this happened without, you know, and we know for a fact that Trump approved of it. Trump tweeted immediately his his approval of of this action. Did 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 Kushner approve of it uh, beforehand? You know, were these people that were on the wrong end of a Kushner deal? <laughs> Ryan, do you remember after he made the announcement that this was an anti-corruption roundup of other members of the royal family? He went out, he bought a house yes. for five hundred million in London, he bought a yacht for five hundred million, and he bought a piece of art for five hundred million dollars. Right. He spent one point five billion in an afternoon, which is a good thing that it's anti-corruption. But one of the mistakes that I also and I've been talking about it quite a bit that Kushner is making in terms of the royal uh family Mahal. Mohammed bin Salman, uh, the you know the Crown Prince, uh, you know, and the other royal members. I know Saudis. I I know many Saudis, some of whom are part of the royal family themselves. Uh, I've known them longer than I've known Trump, and I can tell you, you're only as valuable to them, right? as what you can offer them. Right now, Kushner can't mm-hmm. offer them shit. And so Mohammed bin Salman, who is wickedly smart, you know, I read his book also while I was there, you know, in prison, and so much of it is nonsense. But there's a lot of, if you could read between the lines, there's a lot of mm-hmm. info there. One of the crazy things is he is very similar in many respects to Trump. He will get out of you what he mm-hmm. can. And the second you are of no longer value to him, he cuts you mm-hmm. off. So Kushner could sit there, call, hey, uh, Muhammad, Muhammad, how you doing? Kifak Habibi, right? Fuck you, mm-hmm. right? Now, you're right. He may not say that to him because of fear that Donald could run again in 2024. The second that Donald is no mm-hmm. longer around in 2024, and you could rest assured that the DA and Tish James are going to make sure of that with all of the indictments that are up, that are coming out soon, I can tell you, all right, 
Mohammed bin Salman will have no interaction with Kushner and all of those secret meetings. Probably you're right. The only person that knows what went on, um, in those secret meetings between, uh, MBS and, um, and Kushner is probably Tom Barrack because this was always all about money. Now, Ryan, I particularly enjoyed this take on Kushner by Christopher Harrison that you posted. And I quote, He's not leaving politics. He's monetizing Trump's control over the GOP by collecting money, seeking to buy GOP Middle Eastern policy, and will probably be exempt from FARA. Now, conservatives say goodbye to an independent uh, ME foreign policy goodbye. Hoping that you could do me a favor, just unpack a little more what Harrison is saying for my listeners and why it resonated with you so much. Right. And and he's a former senior aide to uh, Rumsfeld and Condoleezza Rice, the, you know, high, you know, the, the high level GOP, old school GOP official who, you know, is, you know, foreign corruption is one of the, the biggest issues for him. And, and what, 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 he, what his argument is that Washington just doesn't understand, or, or at least the public doesn't understand how thoroughly bought off uh, Washington is by, by, these big spending foreign operations uh, and the UAE and, and Saudi are, are chief among them. And, you know, spend, you know, funding hospitals um, if the, if the hospitals have connections to influential people um, that's before you get to funding the think tanks that are produced, that are hiring the people that's, you know, funding people to take trips uh, over to, over to the region uh, create, you know, speaking gigs, uh, you know, fellowships, you know, you, you know, if you serve a couple years in the foreign policy apparatus in the United States, you, you actually now have a pretty easy path to a very comfortable life, um, on the dime of somebody like the UAE or Saudi Arabia or, or, or some, or other countries who will, um, you know, who, who will pay you handsomely to do very little. And so what that does is it, 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 it affects what kind of decisions you're going to make, what kind of criticisms you'll make when you're when when you're in office. And so what what uh, Christopher Harrison is saying there is that, right, he's he's not he, he's not remotely leaving politics. He's just he's just profiting off of his connection to Trump, just like he has been. And that's and, and we haven't even gotten to uh, Jamal Khashoggi yet. You, so, you know, I, I actually had lunch with Khashoggi about three weeks before he was. He was chopped to pieces um, in Istanbul because he wanted to start writing uh, columns for the for the Intercept to supplement what he was doing for the Washington Post. He was, he was only writing very infrequently for the for the Post, uh, and so a mutual friend of ours um, texted me while he was still inside the um, the, it, the what is it? It's not an, not an embassy, but in the, in the consulate. It was the consulate. Right. So he was still inside there, and a mutual friend of ours texts and says, "You know, I heard from his fiance. He, he's not out yet." I immediately texted Jared Kushner because I had been, you know, I had texted with, with him to get comment for stories in, in the past, and I said, "Hey, um, I, I have heard that that Jamal Khashoggi's in the consulate right now, like, and uh, Turkish police are surrounding it. He hasn't come out. Um, it, it sounds like." Uh, MBS might be trying to kidnap him. Uh, and I, there are a couple other messages to that effect. He, he didn't reply to any of them in the past. He had, you know, at least replied like a no comment or something. Uh, 
a few days later, I, I texted him again. I said, I'm, I'm now I'm now hearing credible reports from people in Turkey that he's been killed. And again, not, nothing. Uh, and so he, he can't say that he didn't know immediately that that he was missing uh, within within an hour or so of him going into the consulate. Did he know before? I think it's really important to know, like, was he read in on on this Mohammed bin Salman plan um, to use the uh, use his brother, the Saudi ambassador, to to lure Khashoggi into this consulate where he would be where he'd be killed? And, you know, is, is Mohammed bin Salman going to do that without the express permission of of uh, somebody like Kushner? Maybe. But did he have it? That's a very important question. It sure is. And Ryan, one of the things we also know is right after the information broke that they were Saudi individuals back and forth with the royal family and people uh, in the Saudi government. One of the things we know is the very first and only call that Mohammed bin Salman agreed to make and to talk about this issue at all was with Jared Kushner. And so I don't know whether or not the sum and substance of that conversation has ever been released, but that would be a hell of a story. That would be a whopper, right? I mean, and I have to tell you, I read also the book while I was in prison, Killing in the Consulate, Hmm. an absolute riveting book. And what I, you know, for me, it was a little bit um, more personal because one of my friends from uh, the early 80s happens to be the cousin of Jamal Khashoggi. Mm. So I took it, you know, obviously very personal, as did she. Um, I'm curious if you saw the New Yorker piece by Jane Mayer. We had her on the show, by the way, about the big money fueling the big lie that's paying for all of the recounts in Arizona and elsewhere. I... Personally, I found this quote the most chilling from an election expert, and I quote, The Maricopa County audit exposes exactly what the big lie is all about. If they come up with an analysis that discredits the 2020 election results in Arizona, it will be replicated in other states, furthering more chaos that will enable new legislation. Millions of Americans could be disenfranchised, helping Donald Trump to be elected again in 2024. That's the bottom line. Maricopa County is the prism through which to view everything. Now, I wasn't aware until reading this piece of the array of dark money that's pushing these lies. Can you discuss this with me? Sure, sure. And I think the the game being played here is is twofold. One, you know, you cre- if if you create a narrative that allows people to believe that fraud uh, is the reason that Joe Biden won this election, then it creates the justification for tons of voter suppression laws and not just voter suppression laws, voter disqualification laws. They're 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 finding ways that even if you even if somebody does manage to vote, if they're in the if they're in a wrong precinct, you can no longer do provisional ballots, you know. Trying to not not just trying to keep people at home, but trying to throw out the votes of people who did come out to to vote, and also uh, reforming the architecture of our election system so that partisan actors have have much more control over the counting of the votes and and the ter- determining of the winner than than currently exists. And so that part that part part A is already well underway. I think part B is is creating a culture that that. Uh, allows Republicans to say, you know what, 
we don't believe in fraud. We don't believe in stealing elections, but the last election was stolen from us. Therefore, we're justified in stealing this next election. And I think the, the reason that Trump failed is because the norms around democracy in this country still re- remain surprisingly strong. You know, even some Trump appointed judges around the country, you know, we're looking at looking at the evidence being put forward by this clown show of a, of a legal team and they were rejecting it there. And that was because there is this, there is still a reverence in, in kind of the American heart for, for the sanctity of democracy. And what Republicans are trying to do with, with things like this Maricopa County audit is rip that heart out. And to say that, no, there's nothing sacred about our democracy. It's been corrupted by Democrats and by Joe Biden. And so therefore, um, we are entirely within our rights and not just within our rights. It's our moral obligation to do everything we can um, to steal the next election. They wouldn't say steal the election, but they would say, you know, make sure by whatever means necessary that Democrats can't steal it. And when you when you as Republicans define stealing a Democrats, stealing an election as Democrats winning an election, like they don't believe that Democrats can legitimately win an election, then anything that Republicans do to win the election is therefore uh, justified. And there was a great quote. I don't remember who said it. They said something like, well, I mean, if, if you take out Philadelphia, Trump won Pennsylvania easily. And that really, it, it, that sounds absurd. It's like, how do you take Philadelphia out of Pennsylvania? What are you talking about? Like, it's, you can't take Philadelphia out of Pennsylvania. But what it, what it, what it reveals is this mindset that so, some votes count and some votes shouldn't count. And that, and that. Well, for right. Donald Trump, it was only the votes that were for him. Right. He wanted to count. But you know, I just wanted to say that it failed. Not so much for the reasons that you were enumerating, but really failed because the people that were around Trump, right, were incompetent. Mm, they too, actually yeah. have come up with, yeah, they came up with a, with a game plan on how to destroy our democracy, how to basically, you know, Trump used to always say uh, this quote, and I remember discussing this quote with him, and it was a Putin quote. It doesn't matter who you vote for. All that counts is who's all that matters is who's counting mm-hmm. the votes, right? I mean, think about that. It doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the votes. And that was Donald Trump's ideology. Mm-hmm. And what makes this so scary for America is the fact that Donald's an idiot, which we all acknowledge. He's got the vocabulary of a four-year-old. You know, he has the attention span of a two-year-old. The big problem is what happens when you get the next guy, the Donald mm. Trump 2.0, who's smarter than him and more sinister and puts together a real team, not the fucking Corey Lewandowski's for five grand a week, you know, um, as a campaign manager, less than what you would pay your Uber driver, right, to take you around. I mean, that's what Donald was all about. You know, it's paying zero and getting basically what you pay for. But I'm talking about somebody that's willing to spend the money, a real billionaire that is as sinister, if not more, than Trump. That's the problem. Now, 
Ryan, a question that I've been asking some of my guests recently, and I would really love your take on it, is around the almost criminal negligence going on with some of these red state governments uh, and these governors and their managing of COVID-19. Now, for example, you have Ron DeSantis, as uh, again, as the example, unwilling to declare a state of emergencies and hospitals running out of fucking oxygen um, and intensive care units filled with children. Right. Elsewhere, there's the prospect of real mass death and suffering for the unvaccinated. My question to you is, at what point does the negligence become criminal where the federal government has to intervene on a state level and force them to comply? Gee, that's a good question. Um, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like DeSantis in particular is just tr- is just hoping that like happened in the UK and I think like happened in India to some respect in South Africa, some respect that, that the Delta created this horrific situation that, and then burned out really quickly. And so uh, you, you, what you do is you, you end up throwing thousands of bodies on the pyre. um, But then the fire just burns out. It, it, it's, it's horrifyingly immoral calculation, but I feel like that's the one that's being, made right now that uh that let's just uh cross our fingers and hope that this hope that this delta thing whips through pretty fast which is basically the same calculation that that trump was making in early march 2020 don't worry this will and my and mike pence yeah and mike pence this will burn itself out which we've seen how that you know here we are a year and a half later and it's not burned out with 620,000 Americans lost and, and, and continuing, right, as a direct result of his bungling of this pandemic. You know what I find interesting about this whole pandemic, uh, this whole coronavirus argument is the fact that Donald Trump, in his mind, truly believes that he's entitled to the Nobel Peace Prize for his work in warp, in Operation Warp Speed. Now, we have to give him credit. The, they did come mm-hmm. up with the vaccine in a very, very, very quick time period. Uh, and so I will give him all the props for that. The problem, though, is that he had no program within which to, you know, put it into mm-hmm. the arms of the, you know, the American people. So that's great. You have the vaccine, but there's no plan within which to administer it. So it's a, it's a really big problem if you think about it. And not only did he say that stupid shit, oh, it's only one person, right? It's, it's like the flu. People mm-hmm. die from the flu, right? He thought he was going to bullshit the virus away. And we obviously know that that's not happening. And, you know, we are much more populated in a smaller, you know, um, square footage basis than in other countries. And so that's why we're seeing these sort of horrific numbers. It's really, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And I, I reject the notion that it's the Wuhan flu, that it's the China virus. This is the Trump virus. Mm. And he's responsible, in my opinion, for all of the deaths as a result of it. And the blood of these people, um, you know, is on, is on him and his soul. And that's, that's just how I feel about it. But Ryan, I told you the hour goes by really fast. So I have basically one last question for you. It's another kind of doozy. So my last question is a broad question about Donald Trump and the so-called memo gate. Now, we, we have in his orders, which were noted by witnesses, evidence of a crime. Why has there not been more aggressive action taken here? 
right? Is it coming or does Merrick Garland not have the political will to take on Trump and the Republicans? Which, can we expect, which particular, can we expect any justice? Can we expect any justice on January 6th from this and the election? Or is this all just a big nothing? And which particular memo do you mean by memo gate? Yeah, I'm talking about like the January 6th uh, insurrection, right, right. as well as some of these other uh, memos that came out uh, post, right, right. you know, the um, impeachment. I, yeah, my, it, like just if I had to prognosticate and knowing our political system, I would think that it's he's more likely to get caught up in some type of uh, corporate, uh, you know, some type of corporate crime. That you know, we we are just very reluctant to to prosecute um, p- people for you know to prosecute politicians for uh, when they when they over when they overstep. Um, I mean, you have a you have a better insight into which you know what other federal crimes you know he has committed and and could be found could be found guilty of. If I, I wrote a piece a while ago, like that went through the actual co- actual code and we, like. I and some researchers were able to pretty quickly identify half a dozen to a dozen just from public things that he'd done in public. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Merrick Garland is the man for this hour in that, in that sense. Like, I, I don't, I don't think that this is remotely like that taking that, that taking on a former president is remotely a job that he ever, ever was interested in. He's just kind of a, well, too bad. Know, but it's the, By the way, it's a job. Bad, you took the job, you took the job, do the job. And I call on Joe Biden on a regular basis. I call on Kamala Harris on a regular basis. I call on Merrick Garland, Lisa Monaco, step up and do what you need to do. You know, the American people are entitled, right, to know that democracy exists, that the Democrats ran, right? We ran on the notion that no one is above the law. Well, not according to my question to you. It appears that if you are a politician and you do shady shit like the, what they did in the Middle East, like what he did, you know, in the January 6th insurrection and in a dozen other specific examples, that we are a country of law with no justice mm-hmm. because you're too big, you're too powerful to be what to put on the stand only the little fucks like me right who paid for the guy to get his pecker pulled by a porn star should go to prison despite the fact that he was what that he was a co-conspirator it was done not only for his benefit but in his direction which is captured in an audio tape that was released seriously yeah that that's on that's on me and everybody else gets to walk why There's, explain that why there, there- there's only one way to explain it, and it's and it's what you said that it's uh, that it's a nation of of laws without justice for people at a particular level. That we, you know, when I was so I was born in the '70s, right? You know, not long after the Nixon impeachment, and we were all in that era raised on the idea that nobody that Nixon showed that nobody is above the law, not even the president. Uh, that you know that that ignored the fact that he had gotten a pardon, uh, but it was it was something that we all believed. And there's no way to square the, I mean, the example you give is, is uh, as, as, as absurd and, and revealing as any could possibly be, but you have two people involved in a crime. Uh, one of them directed it. One of them benefited from it. The other is just involved. 
And the one who's involved is the one who pays for it. They're, the only explanation is that the other one was, was too big to fail, too big to jail. Right. And he controlled the entire process, which is um, improper. I mean, that's just another whole issue about Bill Barr and, um, mm-hmm. you know, all of that other nonsense. And so it's just to me, it's just it's just crazy. Yep. Yep. No other word for it. Listen, I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to thank you for your insight. Uh, your reporting, by the way, is spot, spot on as it relates to uh, what's going on with Barrick, with Kushner, with the Middle East, with all of your investigations. So really, truly kudos to you. And uh, hopefully I'll have you back on here down the road as more uh, unfolds with the Barrick scandal because it's real, it's there. And um, it implicates everybody. It really does. It really does. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for being on. And now for today's mea culpa. In thinking about Andrew Cuomo, I find myself meditating on the nature of power and how it ultimately corrupts the individual. Or in this case, how the projection of power opens the door for authoritarianism. In Cuomo, the left saw what it believed to be the perfect counterpoint to Donald Trump. In reality, it was a funhouse mirror reflection of the man staring back. In a sense, Cuomo was our own authoritarian dream. We gravitated toward him at our most vulnerable and frightened hours because we needed somebody, anybody, to tell us what to fucking do. And that's how easy it is to fall prey to this kind of cult of personality, cast off your suspicions, and let down your guard. Pretty soon, you have become what it is that you used to fear. But to those MAGA hordes whose own brains are twisted, we are the COVID virus, our politics and cultural vomit is more dangerous to them than any pandemic. They want it to stop and Trump or the MAGA ideology is their bulwark. It's not an apples to apples comparison, but I'm showing you how easy it is to fall prey to someone else's bullshit. Not me, you say. Well, if you bought yourself a t-shirt with Cuomo's name or found yourself mooning over the governor on social media, then you are guilty as charged. It doesn't make you a bad person, it makes you human. But it should also make you realize how easy it is to fall sway. Henry Kissinger once remarked that power was the ultimate aphrodisiac. The question is, who or what comes next and how much damage will they do to something so close to its breaking point? I don't know, but one thing I do know is thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, and it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa. Nothing but the truth. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. 
Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. 